Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Zanati Guma. And joining me to take your questions this evening are Devin Shute from the Robay Group and Gary Boyson from Rand Swiss. If you'd like to send those questions to us, please SMS 41392 or email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at Business Day TV using the hashtag Stockwatch. Thanks so much, gentlemen, for your time. Now, a question that is commonly asked in the uh, international news stations is whether we uh, have seen or will see an earnings recession um, in, in, in U.S. companies, of course, with the, with the fears that the U.S. might see a recession this year. But I think one question that hasn't really been asked is if we are going to see an earnings re recession on the JSC. And I'm wondering, because from the reaction that we've seen from the markets when all these companies are coming out with um, numbers and they talk about the profound impact of load shedding on their cost base, you kind of get the feeling that investors in South Africa haven't really factored in that 2% shaving off of GDP growth that uh, Lesetja Khanyaho spoke about. Devon, do you think this is the case? Um, yeah, look, I, I think it's the environment that local companies are in at the moment is incredibly tough. Every results announcement we're getting where they face the domestic economy is talking about the additional operational costs of having to provide um, energy into their operations. And I think that really makes these companies look very carefully at capital allocation. And that money has got to come out of somewhere else. And, and ultimately, the consumers are going to pay for that. I mean, pick and pay and shop right, you know, big uh, grocery retailers were, were prime examples of that. So so I think, you know, it may feed back into inflation in not not such a nice way. And and yeah, I think, you know, it does have an impact on earnings. But I think you're seeing uh, domestic corporate South Africa, there's obviously the, the international players, but domestic corporate South Africa realizing that, that this is the, the, the state of play for a while to come. The, these costs are almost now embedded in the income statements and, and it's how they handle those effectively so so yes not not easily uh, but you know if you compare us to to the us possibly and what's happening there with earnings yeah maybe maybe some different different drivers in in that economy that we can unpack yeah, and that's the thing because load shedding, of course, uh, affects uh, the appetite for the RAND, for example. So, Gary, do you think at this point now investors should be going for RAND hedge stocks that protect against the weak currency? Or should they go into SA Inc. stocks where there's, there might be opportunity there because of how cheap they're getting now? Well, that's a good question. So I think we, we've definitely had South Africa, the South African market is, is a story of a couple of different parts. So you've, you've got those kind of big dual listed, uh, you know, RAND hedge stocks that you're talking about, the likes of Richmond and Naspers, which doesn't give you a, a lot of exposure to South Africa. It's essentially an international company that you can buy in RAND on our exchange. So when you get, when you get the currency blowing out, as, as we've seen over the last uh, couple of days, um, they do ex ex spectacularly well and, and you're not really, you know, uh, they're not. They don't. They aren't hamstrung by the issues that Devin was talking about. So, so, so you know, they're not affected by load shedding in the same way. So, yeah, you know, they're, they're great businesses. Uh, I mean, it's been kind of core to our philosophy when we look at our, our local portfolio. Um, we have our kind of offshore bucket that we we would be invested in. Would I go out today and buy it? Probably not, because we've just had the currency blow out. And I've actually just given a, a presentation to investors where we looked at uh, you know the rand pound, uh, we looked at the, the the rand euro, rand dollar, and and we're really up at the top of the. On, on most of those currencies, and you, you get the sense that I don't know if uh, the, pre the president's going to work some magic over Sono this evening, and maybe uh, you know um, 
<laughs> soothe some of the fears, but mm -hmm. uh, you do get the sense that the currency might maybe is a little bit overextended. Uh, I had a look at some of the big bank forecasts. We've got investing forecasting, you know, the, the rand dollar rate uh, below below 14 again a year, in a year's time, which is a you know spectacularly aggressive uh, currency prediction. So mm -hmm. it's um, yeah, I think maybe not go rush out and buy it, but but in your portfolio, should you have them? No question. Just maybe that the timing of the entry is important as well. Yeah. Devin, uh, I just want to pause from you there. I, I want to stick to Gary because uh, there's a very interesting question I want to ask him. I think in October you chose a Gary Credit Suisse as your stock pick. And um, yes, Gary, I, you did. <laughs> and I actually wanted to uh, oh, yeah. ask if, you, you know, from the latest results where they've seen more losses, that uh, if you've changed your mind in any way or if you are firmly planted in the stock until 2024 <laughs> you look confused if if if, if i if, no, if i remember right it was a yolo trend it was oh, okay. uh, hey credit suisse just got got smashed by like 80 it was something like 60 percent. let's go and like see if we can trade it for a day or two we, we don't we don't hold credit suisse in portfolios for clients we don't uh, you, you know and and unfortunately like i actually had a client phone me a little while ago and said, oh my money's all gone credit suisse and I'm like, we have no relationship to credit we might be ran swiss but we've got no relationship with credit suisse so yeah so so i actually i actually don't remember i think i think it was when they you know it, it was when they um uh, there, there was the fears that they were actually going to go bankrupt yes. and, and we kind of said there's no way this thing is going to go bankrupt we need to go and buy it at the low but yeah like i said that that was kind of like a couple of day trade um i haven't had a look at the results because we don't own credit suisse but yeah. uh, credit suisse you, you know it's, it's not something that we would put in a long-term portfolio and, and hold it, it it really was like a mispricing on the day that we were chatting about to my to my recollection i'm going to go and look for the video and see, see what we were talking about get the receipts gary yeah. <laughs> i'm talking about YOLO trades, David. I mean, I've seen on Twitter quite a lot of uh, debate with Steinhoff. Uh, it's tanked so much that and now people are asking, I mean, sh should you buy the dip? Um, because it, it, it also still provides a kind of cheap entry point into Pepco, but is it worth it? Especially considering the fact that they're now reducing their stake in Pepco to sort out their debt issues. Sure. I mean, I think it's a question I get asked regularly as it as it gets gets cheaper. Is is now there's no other time to buy it. And you know, in my opinion, the answer is definitely no. Mm -hmm. um, you know that that debt burden they have is enormous. I think it's ten billion euros. That that's maturing in I think three four months time. Um, they they're trying to pay that down desperately, and so they're selling off this Pepco stake. They did a just under five billion rand placement to try to do it, but. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I struggle to see many other scenarios ex except where the, the, the banks end up uh, owning this thing. I think, you know, equity holders have very little, if anything, to gain from being in here. Yeah, that's the thing, Gary, because they do have some good assets there, including Pepco. They still have about a 43% stake in, in Pepco. There's Pepco, uh, mattress firm. Um, I don't know. What do you do right now as a Steinhoff shareholder? Because... There seem to be people, obviously, who are still in there for the underlying assets. But do you think that these issues now, especially now with uh, it's now it's going to be uh, unlisted at some point and the risk of the debtors taking over the whole company? Do you think that the risk outweighs the, the, the positives that come from the underlying investments? 
Well, I suppose if markets are efficient, then, then the, it, yeah, the, it's, the risk should, the, the return should adequately compensate you for the risks. But I mean, I, I, I tend to agree with Devin. It's, it, it's incredibly difficult to tell how this is going to shake out. And I think the vote is coming up on the 16th of March. Uh, yeah, and the, the, the debt holders have essentially said to, to equity shareholders that they'll allow them to retain 20% of the value of the underlying assets. And, you know, if, if they vote against this, it seems crazy that, because, yeah, as, as Devin said, it looks like the bondholders are just going to end up owning everything. You can have fantastic assets. And, and the problem is, like, the underlying assets have actually been reporting very, very good growth and, and very solid numbers. And, and people are looking at that and saying, oh, well, that must mean that the Steinhoff share price is going to go up. Unfortunately, as Devin said, a 10 billion euro loan coming coming due, uh, you know, a lot of that debt coming due in June. Um, and now, obviously, with the announcement today, I mean, sign off down another 20% because they, they're hiving off parts of those underlying businesses, trying to get themselves into a position where they can survive as, as a company. But, yeah, again, again you, can, you, can, you can lose all your money. Even if it's 35 cents, you can still lose all the, all your, all the money you invested in. It. You know, it's, uh, you know, the downside is always 100%. So it doesn't matter how far a stock has fallen. It doesn't mean it can't fall, fall yeah. all the way to zero. So. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would be also very, very cautious. But uh, if you're already in, yeah, if you are already in Steinoff and you're you're holding it and you want to see, like I said, you, you run the risk of that, uh, you know, ending up with unlisted uh, script, which is ap- an absolute nightmare usually yeah. for for retail investors. So you, you can kind of hope for a little bit of, of a pop, I suppose, into that vote on on the 16th of March. If you get it, you might make some money, but it, it really does feel like picking up pennies in front of a steamroller. Ah, all right. Well, let's get to your questions. Um... My question is an ethical one regarding share buybacks. Whilst I understand that using spare cash for buybacks rather than dividends has the same net effect because the share price increases, would executives who are incentivized with share options in the future who are making these decisions not be biased towards the former? That's the share buybacks. Devin? Yeah, there are a couple of things there. I mean, you know, share buybacks are ideally utilized should, should align management and, and, and shareholders. And what share buybacks are doing is effectively reducing the number of shares in issue so that the the profits are, are, are split amongst less, less shares out there. So, you know, existing shareholders do benefits as well as management if they align. So I'm a little bit unsure on the, 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 the ethical angle there. Um, there's a case to be made. What I would say, though, is that how share buybacks are implemented is incredibly important. I mean, we saw mining companies yesteryear when they were generating bumper profits that they would then do share buybacks when their their prices were at the top of the market and and that would be value destructive for for shareholders and um, we're seeing more regular share buyback programs um now in in the market though those could be arguably a bit more effective because they they act as an almost floor to to the market but yeah i mean there, there, there's there's no perfect method you know my, my personal preference is for a dividend i'd rather have the the money in hand um but they've definitely been an effective mechanism for for value creation in in a lot of instances for shareholders. A company that investors are disappointed in in terms of not getting clear messaging on share buybacks is BAT. So there's a question here. This morning's results seem to be short on details regarding capital allocation, specifically regarding the share buybacks. Does the panel feel further share buybacks will happen this year, Gary? 
Well, I don't, I don't know if that, that will happen, but I think to, to Devin's point, though, you know, share buybacks, it's incredibly important where the share price is actually trading. So, so if you see the share price at a discount and the management team is buying back their shares, uh, that's, that's a, a massive positive for shareholders. So uh, there, there's no question. I mean, British American Tobacco got hit on the back of the results today. And I think, you know, without them kind of announcing those plans for share buybacks again, um, I think the market, because the mechanism, as Devin explained very well, works in a couple of different ways. So, so one, there's the expectation that you're going to get this earnings lift because the earnings are being shared among, among fewer shares. But there is also a physical mechanism that they, they often are buying shares on the open market, which does create an underpin as well. So you know, with, with traders then looking at that and saying maybe the underpin will fall away, you, you, you will see a, a share price sag on the back of that as well, as well as kind of the valuation, because a share buyback is to an extent, you know, it's, a, it's just a different way from a dividend for, for returning capital to shareholders. So without them kind of renewing those plans for share buybacks, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons that you saw the share price coming down. Uh, I'm not sure whether they will renew those share buybacks in the near future. But I mean, British American Tobacco is, I mean, yes, it's kind of like almost an ex-growth company, but it's also an incredibly stable company. And a lot of people look towards it as a kind of like a dividend payer and a share buyback. But one thing that Devin didn't mention is that you've also got to kind of look at the tax consideration of dividends versus share buybacks and the different geographies that you operate on, depending on where your listing is, depending on where your majority shareholders are. And that also has an effect. Um, and just sorry to one yeah. last point on that from the ethical point of view, you know, there has been a lot of criticism of certain types of share buybacks where the, the management team has a short term incentive to, to target a higher share price and, and that will result in bonuses that they end up doing share buybacks at the expense of the, the, the long term benefit of the company. And I mean, there are a whole lot of different case studies that you can look at where that, that has happened in the past. Um, so yes, there is an ethical question, but usually REM packages do account for that these days. And you know, it's, it's something that is quite well understood. So, uh, but yeah, British American Tobacco, I don't know if they're going to restart the, the, the share buybacks, but uh, I mean, obviously a little bit uh, disappointing to see that they, they are uh, kind of cutting back at the, at the moment. And uh, you know, I think the, the earnings today just, just slightly missing what, what, what everyone was hoping for. And uh, that, that obviously setting it down while their vaping business did remain very, very strong. Yeah. Um, Devin, do you think that th there was a miss there? Because they seem quite okay and then quite encouragingly saying that their new category division actually contributed significantly to, to earnings. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's pleasing. Oh, sorry, was that me? Uh, Devin, no, no, Devin, no, no, yeah, Devin. 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 Uh, Devin. <laughs> Let me take this. Thank you, Gary. You're so kind. So, so yeah, I mean, I, th I, th I think for, for that, what, what's pleasing to see is that that growth is ahead of their, their own expectations, their, their targets. They've achieved a, a year ahead. Uh, I think you know they they tout the health benefits, which is possibly debatable, but may, maybe better than you know the traditional the traditional lines of business. I, I think what was very pleasing in, in the results was the margin expansion. So I think that that speaks to to really being able to to manage the the business effectively. And and yeah, I, you, you know what what did they they do with the capital allocation that was going to the buybacks? Is it going to go through the dividend? Is it going to go into are the acquisitions we not not quite sure yet. I don't think we have the detail, but yeah, you know this this stock is a staple in many many equity funds and portfolios, uh, and and yeah, I I don't see anything overly disappointed with what we saw today. Ah, uh, all right. Uh, let's get to more questions. Why is Equitas with a great nav languishing in the REIT sector, Gary? 
I'm going to pass this one to, to, to Devin. I, all I'll say about it is like, he thinks that, no, no, they, they, Devin had a lot to say about it during the break. So, but, uh, yeah, the only thing I can say is that REIT, uh, I mean, property investment at the moment, I mean, unless you have kind of a, sp- a special situation within within the stock, I mean, you know, one of the companies that we were talking about was the, the Fortress A and Fortress B, yeah. where, where there's a clear kind of like discount to NAV and, and you can kind of understand that it's lost its REIT status and there's this whole thing playing out that if you buy the Fortress A and Fortress B and you add the 10 to the four, the underlying valuation is going to be 24. So there's a, there's a good argument to go and buy that because there's, there's kind of a special situation on the stock and you expect the, you know, the, the two shareholders at loggerheads to kind of work themselves out and, and, and create an uplift. Or it's a special situation, something like storage, where, where they're targeting a very specific portion of the market. But uh, you know, I think property in general, it's, it's, it, you know, it's, a, it's a scary place to invest in a, in a very high interest rate environment. So I think just caution. But Devin will talk to us about equities. Uh, yeah, do you have anything companies. to add there, uh, Devin? Because, I mean, looking at the fundamentals, it seems very um, perfectly placed in the market. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, I, I think it's more more around the environment that that Gary was was explaining. Um, you know, property is just in a really difficult time at the moment. Um, it's it's underweight probably in in most portfolios, and and I think it's because real estate in a slowing growth and rising interest rates environment is the perfect storm for it, and it really yeah. struggles to perform at the moment. That that could be in the process of of changing, as you know, maybe we we see interest rates peak out here and, and elsewhere. But you, you know, this uh, Equitas is of no no exception. Even though they're a specialist logistics play, which which I think is really the the, the sweet spot for REITs, there's you, you know they're not immune to um, I, I guess one the the economic woes that we have domestically. You know whether it's the load shedding or the the, the transport or the municipal infrastructure mm-hmm. that's hurting, um, and and also the the macro environment. So I think you know doing everything they can a well managed company but but just in a really difficult environment investors giving no benefit of the doubt to to anyone in that sector yeah all right uh well let's get to another company that uh, has exposure in the uk uh, investec uh can one add more to your stock i have gone up quite a lot uh, there's been quite a lot of excitement recently with investec um talking about share buybacks they've also been uh, embarking on that program uh, gary would you be going into investec that's a good question. So, so Investec since since kind of ninety one unbundled from it, the, you know the shareholders have actually done very very well with kind of the, the more targeted uh, exposure. Um, you know, kind of specialist banking across UK and South Africa. You know, I, I think it definitely. I, you know, it is an exciting company. I mean, as a, as a bank, they're obviously benefiting from the higher interest rates as well. Um, you know, to an extent, uh, you know, obviously that's going to play through the endowment effect. You know, if we are going into kind of recessionary conditions, uh, you know, that typically is bad for 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 banks. It's specifically lower end banks, but uh, for a bank like Investec that has you know a certain profile of client that is uh, you know more resilient through through economic cycles, it, it probably isn't a, a bad play at this stage. Um, again, the only thing that I'd be worried about is just just how hard the the underlying share price has run uh, thus far. Uh, I mean, all the banking stocks are up. I mean, you can look at Standard Bank, Nedbank. Uh, you know, they, they've all done you know pretty well over the last you know couple of months uh, off those lows. But uh, yeah, I, I have no problem with it with a client holding Investec. I mean, it's 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 fairly cheap as as banks go for what you're getting. It, it has a good dividend yield, and uh, you know, at, at so what 114 rand, you know. If it could just pull back a little bit, you know, maybe back to around 100 rand, I think that's where, where you'd probably be accumulating for a portfolio. Yeah. Um, 
Devin, would you be going for an Investec or for uh, one of the uh, other banks that are more locally focused? Uh, Standard Bank, Absinet Bank, Capitec. Hmm. Interesting. I, th I think from a valuation basis, not Capitec. Um, I, I would probably be, be looking at one of those domestic banks, probably APSA and Standard Bank are our picks at the moment. I, th I, I think the, the sector has performed really well and continues to be in a space where you want to be invested. Um, that being said, Gary's point is very true. They have, have run a bit. Um, endowment effect is coming in. They're fantastic dividend players. Um, you know, they uh, re really got prudent balance sheets and you know lending criteria and we, we, we're seeing them weather the COVID storm well so yeah I mean I, w I would probably pick pick those other two over it but nothing wrong with Investec quality franchise and yeah we, we spoiled for choice in that sector. Ah, all right um, there's a question on a lot of stocks here um, as a long uh, hedge fund play what do the panel think of long positions in Finbond, PPC, Nampac and Murray and Roberts. PPC, NAMPAC, Murray yeah. and Roberts, Finn Bond. I'll take I'll take I'll, I'll take the NAMPAC and the PPC. So so <laughs> NAMPAC NAMPAC yeah, I mean we, we like the idea of NAMPAC. You know, NAMPAC it's difficult to, so NAMPAC is in, in all sorts of trouble at the moment and they have to come and they have to come and raise capital. There's no question about that. Um, the question is how much capital are they going to raise and how much are the, the local uh, banks going to be able to fund uh, kind of their, their, their turnaround story. Now, it's very difficult to imagine a market where, where NAMPAC is not part of it. You know, the South African economy without NAMPAC is, is, is a scary place, if you want to put it that way. So you kind of get the feeling that there are these activist shareholders that, that might manage to, to just reduce the size of that rights issue. You know, NAMPAC trading just below a rand. Um, you know, I, I think I think you know buying in here it's, it's super super speculative, but uh, and and obviously there's a there's a lot of jostling between, uh, you know, how, how deep that rights issue and how much capital they're going to have to raise for a turnaround. But um, yeah, I think I think it, it could be a very very interesting play if you're looking to 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 buy something at sort of ninety five cents uh, with a target of say one one rand fifty one rand seventy five. I think I think that's very very reasonable, and I think Nampak is is probably worth worth adding to a portfolio. But it is a turnaround story, and it's mm. you know they have all the issues around the the ethics translation in Angola and trying to get money back into the country. It's it's very very difficult for them out there, but um, and I think that spooked the market in in the last uh, update that the company gave, but. Uh, uh, overall, yeah, you know, not not what do they say? Not for widows and orphans. Uh, definitely a YOLO punt um, <laughs> before it gets uh, thrown in my face later on. <laughs> but uh, this could easily go to zero. But I don't think it will go to zero. And I think I think the the, the risk reward trade off is is worth it. Um, yeah. So I would I would target say one fifty to one seventy five at least uh, from where it's currently trading. Sorry, the other one I was going to do PPC. Yeah, PPC. So PPC um, now PPC, okay, well, that, they, you know, they, it seems like information was leaked on PPC yeah. recently about the sale of the Zimbabwean unit. It was kind of the, the company kind of scrambles like, oh no, uh, <laughs> yeah, we we always get approached with these unsolicited yeah. offers. Um, yeah, but they look like they're going to sell it, so sell what they, the Zimbabwean unit for for two hundred uh, million US dollars. But eighty percent of that that business is actually dollar based anyway. So they're selling it to a local uh, a local company there that does kind of roads and houses. But um, it, it's something that we've seen within the cement industry for, you know, certainly in the Zimbabwe exposure for, yeah. for a while. Uh, a lot of the, the international cement uh, players have been exiting that, that territory. So if they, 
that they can get two hundred uh, uh, two hundred million dollars for for that business. Great, I think yeah. that, that's great. Allow them to focus on the South African market and uh, okay. and and hopefully get things right here. But they need they need a they need infrastructure spending, and South Africa needs infrastructure. Mm. We just need to somehow get uh, com- the construction industry back on the right track, yeah. and then PPC could be very interesting. Talk about but it is com- up twenty percent after that announcement. Yeah, talking about a company that uh, needs to get everything back on track, Marion Roberts. Do you even look at Finbond, uh, Devon, so you can just chat to us about that, if you do, and Marion Roberts? Sure. Fin- Finbond, no. Um, and unfortunately, haven't looked at that in a bit. Marys, yeah, I mean, I think uh, Group's looking in better shape than it has in a while. That order book's looking pretty healthy, which is nice to see. Um, yeah, I really, I, I like the operations in, in the energy and kind of infrastructure space. Mining has been a good beneficiary for them. But these are tough businesses to run. You know, the, the, the margins are tight. There's big execution risk um, and, and highly cyclical usually. So as much as, as well run as these businesses can be, there's often things out, outside of their control. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we're always cautious on, on, on these stocks, but yeah, they're definitely better than where they were. Yeah. All right. Well, gentlemen, let's get to your stock picks for today. We have about a minute between the two of you. Gary, what will it be? Um, okay, I'm going to go with Google. It seems boring, but there's a lot of kind of news flow around it, and, and the stock has been selling off uh, after OpenAI was bought by Microsoft, and Microsoft announced that somehow we're going to be binging things instead of Googling them in future. And I just want to kind of like a, maybe address that and say Google is still one of our, our top picks. I think Google is, this is something that is in long-term portfolios. It's not a YOLO trade. We, we, we think that, uh, you know, based on, on kind of like an AI, if, if you were building an AI basket, uh, Microsoft probably wouldn't even be in it with ChatGPT. Uh, Chat the chat and the open AI um, acquisition, but Google, Google would definitely be in it with their DeepMind purchase. Now, what's happened is if you go through the history, DeepMind was bought by Google, you know, probably 10 years ago now. And I mean, it is an incredible, they are, they are by far the leader in AI technology. But what they've done is they've, they've really limited their AI. You know, they've kind of uh, almost hamstrung their AI because they, they were kind of trying to make it safe. And now OpenAI, the little competitor, has kind of made this big splash in the market. And what we think is going to happen now, Google, the gloves are going to come off and, and Google is going to start, stop limiting DeepMind. And I mean, what they do through AlphaFold around folding proteins and that, it doesn't make kind of like the, the big like news and announcements that something like ChatGPT where we can all go log in and get a robot to do our homework does. But I mean, you know, for, for, for medical scientists, what, what that, that program done is absolutely spectacular. So yes, it's, it's sold off, I think, 9% in the, in the US last night um, because their, their AI that they launched barred, what, didn't excite the market. Yeah. I think that's very, very short-sighted and something that you should, should definitely have in an offshore portfolio. All right. What's exciting you right now, Devin? Yeah, so it's one one I've uh, recommended before, Fortescue Metals Group, Australian listed iron ore miner, one of the, the big ones there. It's got a couple tailwinds at the moment. The reopening of the Chinese economy is obviously one of those and the, the high demand for iron ore that will come. It's also commenced a massive project in West Africa, probably one of the biggest iron ore deposits in the world. So, so that's looking good there. But I think what we're really excited about is their long-term strategy and they're really evolving the, the group to a much more renewable energy focus. Um, they've got a green hydrogen and a renewable energy portfolio. They're allocating significant capital to it now and in the future. And so they, they think that's going to generate good returns for them. They're eliminating their need for fossil fuels and carbon offsets in their operations. And so we think while profitable now, trades on seven times earnings, 9% dividend yield, we think, we think the future for them looks 
very exciting. All right. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, for your analysis today and for your YOLO uh, trades. <laughs> Thanks to my guest, Devin Shute from the Robay Group and Gary Boyson from Rancis Offshore. Catch the Friday edition of Stockwatch tomorrow afternoon at 1 p.m. live. For now, stay with us as we bring you the State of the Nation address straight after this. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.